1: You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network.
2: Hey everybody, welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, the Heroes Podcast Network's dedicated Star Trek podcast. I am your host, Derek, my co-host and cohort... Greg is still on his away mission, so we are continuing our reviews of the Star Trek TNG era films. Last week, we reviewed Star Trek Generations, and this week, we move on to First Contact. I have my same guests from last week, returning guests, Ray. Hello. And Zach. Hey. And if we sound a little different, it's because we're recording a little bit differently this week, so I hope that sounds good for you guys. So, uh, before we begin our review, we always talk a little bit of news, and this past weekend was New York Comic Con, where basically the entire Discovery cast was there to have a cool panel. Lots of information came out.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so, first off, the show comes back January 17th. We have an official date. It's a Thursday. So, it's moved from Sunday to Thursday. Feels more prime time. Yeah. To step in the right direction. Right. I don't
0: know. I feel like it's about the same. Sundays where they <clears throat> where most networks put their, their best shows, you know, Walking Dead Sunday evening on AMC and
1: The question that I wanna know is, I mean, how much does the air day even matter anymore as far as shows are concerned, because so many people watch it streaming. Uh, a lot of people even like more hardcore fans, like they may not watch it like the minute it airs, they may watch it the next evening after work or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be.
2: Well, I mean, the, the, still, the initial night numbers do matter, right? Yeah, no, that's and, fair. Because it has to do with what yeah. it's going up against, you know, what other shows are coming out. Since it is a weekly thing, it's not like right. when Netflix drops, like, all of D- uh, Daredevil Season 3, right? This is a yeah. weekly thing. Um, so, it still matters. I wonder if maybe Thursday night has less competition in the winter. Mm, maybe. You know? I don't maybe. Know. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, lots of cool stuff. We had a new trailer for Season 2. It Please showed us. Hot. We, we did. did bearded Spock.
0: He's a little cutie. Yeah, yeah. You think so? I started following his Twitter today. He's very excited about the new show. He, all he's doing is, you know, promoting it and talking about how he's very lucky to be a part of it. And yeah. I like if the character's bad. The character's bad, but it's obviously not going to be his fault because he seems to be hella on board.
1: I love his optimism. I I am nervous though, especially. I mean, I have higher hopes for the Star Trek fan base, but. Nervous in the sense that uh, toxic fandom has been a problem in recent years and I'm worried that uh, if people don't receive his Spock well and there's big shoes to fill there but I'm worried mm-hmm. that if they don't receive it well uh, that it's going to cause problems and I don't want to see his optimism turned into cynicism after taking <laughs> on this big role.
2: Yeah, so of course the person we're talking about, his name is Ethan Peck um, and people are already getting on the character for the the brief moments that we see him.
0: What's the point? I, I don't know. A beard?
2: Like... Yeah, I mean, his hair is very similar to Spock's hair at the beginning of the mm-hmm. motion picture. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, kind of the long, shaggy, was a bowl bull, a bull cut, but isn't anymore kind of thing. Sure. Uh, and then, yeah, he has the full beard, which we've never seen Spock have a full beard. No. Because, um, like, you know, he was still grooming in Mirror <laughs> Mirror. He just kept the goatee. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think it's weird to uh, slam a character's first look when you haven't had any acting yet, right? Like, the characters, obviously, Spock's been missing somewhere for an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, um, He's asleep. He grew some facial hair in his dormancy. I mean, look, it doesn't look anywhere near as ridiculous as that one alternate timeline, Riker, where the the Borg have taken over and he, like, actually has the comically large Uh beard. Yeah. Um, You know, so, like, that's happened on Star Trek. So, I think he looks fine. I mean, I gotta wait and see what the character is like. That's important. I'm, I'm withholding judgment for that point, but
1: I like his optimism. I will say, too, not to get ahead of ourselves. We're obviously gonna be talking about First Contact uh, more later, but re-watching First Contact today in preparation for this, I realized Ethan Peck looks a lot like that first Vulcan that steps off the ship at the end of the movie. Oh, yeah? There, there I is didn't some really notice that,
2: but that's interesting. There.
1: Yeah, I only okay. noticed it because it was just, like, just today after I just watched the trailer and it was fresh in my mind. Hmm. Because Ethan Peck, a handsome, objectively handsome dude, uh, but he does have some very unique features that look very Vulcan, and I can see from a visual standpoint why they cast him.
2: Yeah, if you compare him to the other, like, the child Spock characters, the casting is spot on. He may not look as much like Leonard Nimoy, but he looks just like all of the kid Spocks. Yes, definitely. Definitely. even the uh, even the animated series one, I saw a comparison of that, and it's pretty That's funny. Cute. Um, yeah. Which is fine. I like the animated series. Same. Uh, so other other design type things, um, we saw a Klingon D seven battle cruiser. Mm-hmm. The
0: Klingons all have hair. They yes.
2: all have hair. Yeah.
0: Because it's no longer time of war.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So they're kind of. I don't know, retcons a little strong, but they're kind of expanding on the episode Rightful Error from TNG and saying that, well, it's not a time of war, so they didn't shave their heads. Uh, there's been some arguments on Twitter about how, well, the war hadn't started yet when we were introduced to these Klingons at the beginning of Discovery.
0: We were also introduced to the rebel ones, the ones that were outcasts. So maybe right. they were at war.
2: Right.
1: Maybe they, they were embodying war as a, as a rebellion
2: yeah they wanted to start a war yeah right so they didn't they were already prepared yeah okay they didn't want to be the klingons who are like all right war started let's go shave yeah they were prepared and ready to go proactive Klingons. they are shaved (laughs) and prepared for war uh so yeah so i mean they look great i think they look great um
0: i think it's just very similar to why they wanted to explain away the romulan's tattoos in uh, the 09 film, like they just came up with an in-universe way why this group of people had this body decision and <laughs> went with it, and I think it's fine.
2: Um, we also got to meet Number One, uh, Rebecca Romain. Uh, yeah, her, her, didn't recognize her. her, her number One, the, the dark hair. Still yeah, still don't
0: have a name. Still no name.
2: Yeah. Uh, there's a side by side floating around Twitter of the of Michelle. Uh, mm-hmm. Number One, and then. Uh, Rebecca's and man, like it's, it is some good. spot on casting. Yeah. Um, Rebecca really Romaine good. Lettuce really pulls it off. <laughs> um, one cool thing that somebody noted uh, is that, you know, Pike's going to be captain of the Discovery for at least somewhat of a time. And that means that number one will be captain. Captain number one. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> How yeah. would you guys
0: feel if they made it very on the nose and just named her Majel?
1: Um, I don't know.
2: I mean, part of me thinks I that did, that's... I doubt that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I'm just
0: throwing this out there as like a what if.
2: It's a really nice tribute. I wouldn't mind. I, I'm a I'm a fan of
1: Majel Barrett and all of her roles. hmm Yeah, both, I mean, that's both a... Both Computer and uh,
2: uh, Lwaxana. It would be a nice way for the character, for her name to live on in the character, you know, mm-hmm. um, would be cool. I mean, I'm fine with that.
0: It, would, it was the very first character that Majel played out of her four, yeah, so... Does she
2: have a name... No. Okay. Not in canon. Right. Nurse uh, Chapel was her so, first named character. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um number one was just number one. You know, she was yeah. never given a name. So um So
0: just a fun what if. I doubt they're going to do that. It'll probably be something completely different.
2: But yeah. 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 You're It'd probably be nice right? some sort of
1: like subtle nod.
2: hmm
0: Like maybe your last name's Barrett. Who knows?
2: Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean that would be cool. I'd be totally for that. Um, yeah, I'm good with it. Um, all right. So any other news? Uh, let's see. Oh, um, in the Picard show, mm. uh, Alex Kurtzman said that they actually view this as an ongoing series instead of a limited one shot, yeah, which makes me happy, uh, which is surprising. Yeah, it's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> it's just really surprising to me because um, the show. I mean, I suppose if they really burned through it and did it very quickly, maybe they could hit next fall. Yeah. But that would be really fast. Yeah. Right? I don't know.
0: It depends on how many episodes. If they only ordered six to start out with for this new series, which is becoming more and more popular, then it's yeah. possible to get those shot and edited mm-hmm. and ready to go for the fall. But anything more than that, and there's going to be a delay like we saw with Discovery.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, either way, multiple seasons should be cool. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: um, a well, potential. A lot to explore. I mean, ever since the 09 films came out, I've been wanting more of the Prime Universe mm-hmm. post Nemesis, and so this is really exciting. Uh, Will Wheaton wants
2: to return. I saw that. Uh, that
0: would be so cool. Yeah,
2: right. I'm, I'm all on board for that. I mean, not a surprising thing, you know. I'm sure that most of the uh, the TNG actors probably want to be involved. Yeah, uh, but I think Will Wheaton is a really good choice because his character's on the younger side. Yeah, right. And so we don't know what happened really when he left to be with the traveler we see him you know at the wedding in nemesis mm-hmm. uh but that's really it we don't i mean he's he, he's in a starfleet uniform mm-hmm. so i guess you could say maybe he returned back, and came yeah. back to starfleet so maybe he's a captain yeah you know the oh, captain cool. crusher you know by this point I like i'm just that. i'm just imagining a
1: heartwarming moment between him and picard where wesley's like dispensing some sort of wisdom <laughs> to picard and he lovingly and calmly says shut up like, <laughs> in a different tone and delivery See, i
0: was hoping that it was going to be like during a big hug or something kind of yeah. like the Renee Zellweger when yeah. you had man. hello yes says, shut up shut me. up
1: please.
2: well will will wheaton hates that so they might not do it because it bothers him a great deal right um the
0: fans ruined it
2: the fans ruined or it i should it say the overkill. anti-fans like, yeah they really did yeah yeah i mean we can't have anything nice right yeah <laughs> Um, Welcome to America, 2018.
0: Anytime there's a catchphrase, especially in the 80s and 90s, it got overused. Jaleel White hates, did I do that? And, Mm -hmm. you know, um, why am I forgetting his name? He passed away. He had a form of dwarfism. He was on different strokes. Though, what you talking about? Was, oh, like, um, like that Gary got Ullman? yeah, yeah, that got overused to the point where he was very upset. So yeah, you well, know, cause you
2: can't no one wants to be known for one thing for their phrase catchphrase. In their life. Yeah, because these characters had growth. They had arcs. They changed. You know, especially Wesley went through a lot as a character yeah. and. To see him come back would be pretty cool because, you know, he has a real opportunity to, to be a mainstay at, at, in that timeline. Whereas yeah. a lot of the rest of the cast, I mean, 20 years after Nemesis, Riker's probably an admiral because, yeah, you know. I don't want Admiral
1: Riker on that show. I love Jonathan Frakes so
2: much. Geordi, I guess, could be a captain, but he may he could have moved up to an admiral after 20 yeah. years too. What about Brent Spiner? Are they going to bring on an aged B4? I don't think that would make any sense. I don't think so either.
1: But I, I really it, don't. You know, it makes me sad because Data.
0: They could have maybe flashbacks or video.
2: They could um, they could de-age him. Obviously, yeah. we're doing that now. That's the key, right? So that no TV shows haven't really done the de-aging thing yet.
1: They haven't had to,
2: right? And so this would be an opportunity to do that. But I would, and maybe depending on how they do the show, they could keep costs down because they don't need a lot of special effects if it's a more character-driven show, mm-hmm. right? Because you know this is. 20 years later, Picard, he's probably not a member of Starfleet anymore. Yeah. Um, and so you're not necessarily going to have these big ship battles and things like that. So maybe you spend some extra money and you de-age Brent Spiner and, you know, bring Data back. I, I mean, I'm one of those people who thinks we don't need Data to come back, as I know he has in Beta Canon and Star Trek Online's timeline mm-hmm. and, and the comic books. You know, he's come back. But I, I just think that that kind of belittles... Uh, what happens to him in Nemesis. Agreed. Yeah, Yeah. that's fair. Um, But, uh, but yeah, so, um, Will Wheaton wants to come back, that would be cool. I'd love to see Jonathan Frakes, LeVar Burton, and even even Roxanne Dawson do some directing Mm -hmm. on Picard, I think would be really cool as, and, 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 um, I guess he
0: could bring anyone back from DS9 and Voyager. Absolutely. All of them too.
2: Um, Robert Duncan McNeil is a big director as well. Mm -hmm. I just, I would like to see Star Trek veterans who are directors direct some of this. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think it would be really cool to see, especially since, you know, they, it's Kirsten Byer's show and she's a Star Trek author. Like that's, that's her thing is writing Voyager books. If they
0: bring Wheaton back, then I'd also want to see little Cisco and Nog come back too.
2: Same. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't
0: have to be like for the entire show, maybe an episode or something.
1: Like, well, if this is an ongoing thing. There's no reason why season two,
2: season three, there can't be like a return of Cisco subplot. Like, from yeah. The, uh, Jake the would be a, a hard character to tie in simply because he's not a member of Starfleet.
1: Yeah, I'm okay with that, though. Right? I mean, Especially Nog if, is. If, but,
2: um, I mean, if Picard's not a part of Starfleet, I mean, Yeah, but he's they, a... mi- they meet up on Ryza. I don't know. Dude. Jake's like a reporter, <laughs> though. Like, I don't yeah. know that. And, and he and Cisco.
0: Maybe Jake gets together and wants to bury the hatchet between Picard and Cisco. I, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. I think it, like, it's just fan service at this point. We're just right. We're talking just, about the things we would we want to see. Well,
2: so that's why I'm talking more directors, like because they sure. directed Star Trek before. Yeah, they got the I experience. think they yeah, they would be good fits. They know the the characters. They and you know they know Patrick Stewart, especially in Jonathan's and Levar's cases. Yeah, and let's face it, Jonathan's. Star Trek movies that he directed are pretty amazing, which is why they wanted him to uh, direct Beyond before Justin Lin was attached to the movie, mm-hmm. um, and that's why, why he's so... on Sco- Discovery. He's doing Discovery. He's doing the Orville. There's a reason why he keeps being attached to those types of projects. And know.
0: truth be told, I never want a story to suffer for fan service. So you know, right. story first. Fan service is you know not even second. You yeah, know, so
2: yeah, any fan service that's in there is fine. But I'm still a fan, so. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. All right, so any any other news that I missed? Did I miss anything? No. no. That's the big stuff. Okay. Um, all right, well, then we are going to move on to our review of Star Trek First Contact after we take a short break. Hey there, I'm Batman, and I wanted to tell you about
0: my friends at the Screen Heroes podcast. They deliver sweet justice in the form of discussing movies, television, and me. They love my movies. Every single one of them. Yes, even that one. Sometimes they even have me on as a guest, which is thrilling. You can find them at twitch.tv slash heroespodcasts. Live on Tuesdays at 9 p.m.
1: Eastern Gotham time. If you can't tune in live, the new shows go up on places like Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Google
2: Play, Gotham Radio, Demoscura Live, and Blog Talk Radio. Now, back to your regularly scheduled backcast. Alright, and we are back, ready to talk Star Trek First Contact. So the first of kind of the mainstream Star Trek films, the first one that even non Trekkies went to go see. Um, I it's one of my favorites, if not my favorite star trek movie out of all of them i
0: think objectively it is just the best movie if you're going to watch one star trek film that should be the one to do it because you get a little bit of everything
2: yeah i think it's a it's a wide range it it, it introduces these characters very quickly Mm -hmm. it introduces the Borg very quickly it's got an interesting premise you you learn a lot of history of the federation of picard what he's Mm -hmm. been through special effects are really solid it was nominated for a bunch of awards it manages to be a quality action
1: film while still embodying the optimism and hope that is Trek. Mm -hmm.
0: and tv shows are able to handle ensemble cast a lot better than movies are but this one did a really great job yeah splitting them up keeping everybody's story very interesting nobody was forgotten
2: so yeah, Jonathan Frakes is just really good at getting the best performance out of those actors. Um, so we start with Picard's Inception Nightmare Dream Sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you guys think of that as like an opening for the movie? Cinematic. It draws you... I mean, like
1: any good action horror film, you've got to have like that big punch at the beginning to draw audiences in. When did this come out? 1997? 96. 96, yeah. yeah. So like, we're past the days of cinematic slow burn. Uh, You got to have that big first real punch and and that that delivered it was you know shocking It was maybe a little bit more surprising uh, at that point than it would be now But yeah, I mean it was a a good opener
0: And added context clues too because Mm -hmm. I still have yet to see the episodes where he is assimilated so that was nice that it was backstory without a ton of exposition and it wasn't excessive, it wasn't over the top, it didn't bore me. I got what I needed to get out of it and could understand without asking a ton of questions.
2: Yeah, smartly done. Fair enough. I like how – so it's two levels of the dream, right? And in the first one, he's wearing his TNG-era uniform. Mm -hmm. And in the second one, he's wearing the new-era uniform that he'll be wearing for the rest of the film. Yeah. I thought that was kind of an interesting little touch that I'm sure was on purpose. I
0: didn't think he refilmed anything from the first scene. It looked like it was straight out of the TV show.
2: No, that was refilmed. That was new. Really? That's very interesting. Yeah, you don't get to see – any of that stuff because the original borg look really different that's yeah that's fair. and you don't really get to see him get assimilated you see him get abducted
1: mm-hmm. and then
2: he's locutus yeah okay. um there's a bit of a jump there and so this you know you, the, the inside of the Borg cube i guess looks almost the same i mean obviously it's it's higher quality in, in the movie but yeah. um, that didn't change a whole lot but yeah that was all new footage
0: okay that's um, fair
2: but uh, and then there's
1: the the false start the third phase of the dream where it's like it embodies his fear that he is going to become the Borg again where he wakes up but doesn't really wake up and then it pops out of his face
2: I like that yeah it's a cool moment it is yeah um, it's like and how good we're out of that dream no you're not no you're not a it's little a, jump scare inception yep. 10 years before inception yep um yeah it's a cool it's a cool moment. and I, I like that you know, so you know he's talking to the admiral and he's like, yes, I know the Borg. Like he already understands exactly what's going on, uh, which I thought was really cool. Um,
0: it gives a depth to his character as well. It shows that he has some PTSD lingering yeah. from his abduction, and you know, we talk about how trauma affects you on just a daily basis as a society. Mm-hmm. So it's great that they were touching on that back then.
1: Yeah, especially for Trek, um, and I don't, I don't remember what Roddenberry's thoughts were on this film. I can't imagine that he loved some of these aspects of. I don't of Kirk's think narrative. he was still, he wasn't still. Oh, alive. he wasn't still alive, was he? That's yeah, right. he passed.
2: Um, yeah, he he definitely was not alive during First Contact, so he right. he would not have had any ideas about right. any any opinions. But I can't imagine that he would have loved it because of.
1: Picard and his anger, his PTSD, because that was very much against what he wanted to see for the Federation in season one.
2: But, okay, so so Roddenberry died in 91. Yeah, okay, yeah. So TNG was still on the air. We didn't have the Generations movie yet. Uh, but we already had the assimilation. So the sure. Borg existed, and you already had the episode Family, where Picard goes right. home and deals with some of the PTSD with his brother. Mm-hmm. So there's, there is some of that anger and things like that, but I think... I think Gene would have been okay with that simply because it's an external force. Sure, it's not within the Federation. Right. Yeah, And that was the big key. That's why it's a valid You point. know, the, the TNG crew is so sterile with each other, right? Because mm-hmm. we're supposed to be one big happy family. Right. Everything's an external conflict, which DS9 and Voyager uh, and, and Enterprise, of course, were able to separate from because by then Gene was no longer part of, of yeah. the picture. Um, yeah. But that was interesting to see...
1: How a utopian society, um, just the juxtaposition of this utopian society
2: and something as traumatic as as PTSD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you get the beautiful shot of the brand new Enterprise E. It's our yes. first look at a new Enterprise. In, I mean, I guess if you can count the Enterprise A that has actually shown later. Than, yeah, and then we had the B, I guess, in Generations. You get to see the B in Generations. That's the that's the new one, but yet another new ship. What do you guys think of the E as a you know sequel to the the D?
0: I'm not a vehicle person. I'm I care <laughs> a person about person. what occurs on the inside. So, like I told you while we were watching it, you're gonna have to just put them all up against each other and let me see them because they look the exact same to me. This one looks of course more cinematic, mm-hmm. but I as a newer Trek fan I don't know if that's because of the design of the ship or because of the uh, filming so
1: I I love the E it is one of my favorite ships in all of Trek uh it's one I don't actually own a model of personally but I would like to um I especially as a big DS9 fan uh which we'll touch on you know more as we continue to discuss these movies and, and the influence of some of the other things happening in Trek on these movies, but uh, the Enterprise E seems to have a bit of a Cardassian influence in its design, which is very telling for that point in Federation history, which I find cool.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the E is really nice. So it's not my favorite. Is that your favorite Enterprise? No, not my favorite. Which is your fra- favorite Enterprise? Oh god, um... Ray, do you have a f- yeah, I guess you don't really have a favorite then, because it's not really your thing.
0: Um, the the silver one.
2: <laughs> the silver one? Yeah, aren't
0: they like painted silver or something
2: like that? I don't know. So, Zach? I, it I...
1: would be in between the original Enterprise and the D would probably be tied for first, and the E would be a close second. So, when you say the original,
2: do you mean from the TV show or the refit in the movies? The original, original. The original, original. Yeah, okay. I mean, cheesy, kind of bad, but it has <laughs> that special place in my
1: heart. And then the D, of course, as being the Enterprise uh from tng like that's very
2: nostalgic for me so those two are probably tied for first with the e being a kind of a close second place my favorite is actually the dreadnought galaxy class the d re uh refit and uh, sure. all good things yeah that that's actually my favorite that one had the, the quad uh three oh, the, the three that's the right yeah yeah the quad was uh the stargazer
1: oh stargazer
2: yeah had before. yeah uh, but yeah, the, the the triple nacelles and the the phaser, the phase cannon, or whatever they call it, mm-hmm. um, yeah, could go warp thirteen, which was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> because apparently, um, we
1: forgot that going warp was causing like galactic tears in a global warming sense. We're just totally over, it's, avoiding. It's only when episode. you go warp ten, when you go above warp ten, everything's fine. <laughs> oh, that's you gotta it gotta gotta get over warp the. Warp ten's just that like dangerous sweet spot. Okay, yeah. Uh, okay, anyway, okay, I can... just like overriding that
2: episode. So we're, we're 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 introduced to the new enterprise and then almost immediately we're introduced to Jordy's new eyes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that was really cool. Those are cool.
2: Right? Mhm.
0: I think they spent a little too much time like focusing in on them mm-hmm. and watching them do their thing. Like I thought once was enough. I didn't think he had to keep doing it, but it was pretty great. I'm really happy for him. A little upset they didn't offer it to him sooner.
2: Yeah, I mean he basically had to demand it. Yeah. After generations, he's like I'm not doing this with a visor again. Right. You know, um and you got to have Jordy. You can't you can't do it without Jordy. So, I love those those cybernetic eyes. Um, it's super cool. I wonder you know what what kind of vision he has compared to the visor because the visor, you know, was really helpful in a few situations. Yeah. And of course, you know his new his new eyes are very helpful in this one because he can he can zoom and he can see like he zooming all in that. cock and peeing <laughs> taking a leak taking a leak <laughs> oh leak that's funny mm-hmm. um, but yeah his eyes are super cool mm-hmm. um, what else we have you know we have the new uniforms which if you watched Deep Space Nine you got to see those as well because they were introduced in Deep Space Nine after the movie sure yeah. Um, I love these uniforms. Yeah, they're my favorites. Um, they're really good. They are. How do you feel though about Picard's like vest alternative version that nobody else has? Yes, uh, it's a little dated. It doesn't. I don't yeah. think it age as well. No,
0: it was to obviously make him look more of an action hero. It was a throwback to Kirk's like open chest kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean. Did it achieve that? We'll never know. We'll I mean, never know. Why didn't we get
2: bare-chested Picard? Is why really the, the question? I've been or... asking that my yeah. entire life. <laughs> yeah. Why
0: have I not seen that man naked yet?
2: Um, I mean, I'm sure you can knock on his
1: door. <laughs> I just wow. There are very few
0: nudes I want to see. Is this one?
1: Is this one of your uh, fan goals for the new Picard show? <laughs> full frontal Patrick really Stewart it's gonna happen on
0: boobs. I don't see why it's true it's we true. can't see they're, they're
2: all, we assume Patrick Stewart's packing You know, they're shirtless Picard That is a thing that has happened. Yeah, I haven't seen it. On Rising. But, you know, CBS wasn't into the full frontal nudity Picard. Not yet. Surprisingly. Yeah. Um, Uh CBS All Access can do what they want. (laughs) That's true, they can. (laughs) Um, All right. So, The Enterprise, of course, has to stay out of things because Picard will introduce an unstable element to the Mm. Borg altercation. I totally
0: understand. You don't know. Uh, Nobody else but Picard. Knows what they're going through. However, that right there is a huge variable.
2: So let me throw this out there. Think of it not as a movie anymore, but as in-universe how this would be handled. Mm -hmm. At this point, Riker's been the first officer on the Enterprise for seven, eight years. He's been offered at least two commands and even took command of the Enterprise for a time while Picard was assimilated. Mm -hmm. You have the Enterprise, which Jordy notes is the most sophisticated ship in the fleet. Yeah you bench Picard and you give Riker command of the Enterprise for this engagement.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That would have worked. Right. That it's was harder. a much better way to handle this.
2: Then of course Riker gives command over to Picard because that's how the story would go, but yeah. Right? Like that's what you do. Why would you leave your firehouse ship out of the fight at earth against your number one enemy?
0: For yeah the wonderful line that Data says, to hell with our orders. Like, that's yeah. why you do it. So. <laughs> yeah. So Data that one can line. just be the rebellious teenager. <laughs> that one line
2: is worth it all. Yeah, yeah, Data grows a lot between Generations and First Contact. He really gets the emotion ship under control. Yeah. Uh, it is a great line, though. You know, to hell with our orders is a great line. He gets another good one in Insurrection that we'll talk about next week. I mm-hmm.
0: mean, he gets a really good moment in each film. Like, I really liked yeah. in Generations when... They got the Klingon ship, and he's
1: just like, "Yes, I love he that." Was, like, so <laughs> ridiculous, yeah. Yeah. but it's perfect.
0: He
2: gets a few good moments in this movie. He does, he does. Uh, but it is a good moment because it it's very telling about the crew of the Enterprise. Because the show TNG gets a, a, a lot of knocks for being very sterile and everybody's so perfect and mm-hmm. you know proper and everything. But the reality is is that they break orders a lot oh, yeah.
0: to do the I right thing. I never got that. Like, yeah. I just kept thinking, "Wow, they're the." Prettiest cast. <laughs> How are they not boning each other? Like, everybody should just be like, let's have a commune and we'll just share custody. And- I mean, Riker
1: and Troy kind of had a free for all open relationship that was never
2: openly discussed. Well, according to, I mean, again, we'll talk about it next week in Insurrection, but apparently they haven't done anything in many years because of the beard situation. Really? So I don't know if I,
1: I, know if I knew
2: that. Oh uh, yeah, in Insurrection, when um, they kiss, he he kisses her and she oh. she laughs and says yuck, and, and he goes, uh, and she goes, I've never kissed you with a beard before, and he goes, I kiss you and you say yuck, and she closes the door in his face. It's one of my favorite moments. I forgot about that. You're um, right. And so that means that they that means they, that they would not have made out since like the first season of the show but I'm trying to, i thought i remember them kissing at least at one point post season one but maybe Ooh, not continuity problem i don't know like i'm not, gonna have to binge the, the series yeah, just to find out watch all seven seasons for <laughs> next week I don't we have not anything else to pass, do. Pass like
0: the first 15 minutes of the film guys all right all right ahead. let's move
2: yeah moving along, move along so okay of course obviously the enterprise decides to go because they're gonna do the right thing mm-hmm. so they cut to the the battle which is a really cool battle um, because previously, you know, they had a TV show budget in 1989, I think, yeah. uh, is when the best of both worlds was, was filmed. Um, so, you know, lower budgets, earlier technology, TV show, you know, camera technology. And, you know, here you've got... Ship models that you've never seen before, like the Akira class. Mm-hmm. The Defiant swoops in there, which, if you're a DS9 yeah. fan, is super cool. Yeah. And an Adam, Adam, Adam Scott fan. Yeah, Adam yeah. Scott shows up. I love DS9. I love Adam Scott. I love Worf. It's the happy moment. <laughs> it's the Enterprise. I'm sure he loved being able to say that line. Yeah. So um, yeah. Everybody's been in Star Trek. Uh, Catalina wine mixer. <laughs> Um, so it's a cool scene though, right? Like it's really cinematic. There's lots of ships moving around, lots of explosions and, and stuff happening. And the Enterprise just swoops in and it's freaking massive compared to the other ships around it. It really dwarfs, especially the Defiant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, little. <laughs> what'd you guys think of that scene though?
0: Of the battle? Yeah. That's just
2: the whole action sequence. It's very well done. Very cinematic.
0: I mean, it looked pretty grim right like it's supposed to look like they're just gonna get destroyed so uh, the fact that picard comes in and saves everything in a matter of seconds makes me just so mad that he was put in a timeout the entire time,
2: <laughs> time like, target these points these don't to be critical. so many
0: lives
2: yeah well okay so there's that but then there's also the hesitation that he has for mm-hmm. a minute like so he you know he's uh the fleet standing by and they're ready and everything and they're just looking at the screen and you're just watching and the ship explodes during this time frame yeah and then he says his dramatic fire and i know that's to build suspense for the movie but like at least a few hundred people die during that time gap yeah um but, yeah, it, it's it's amazing, right, because he comes in, he picks a spot on the Borg cube that Data says is not important at all, mm-hmm. right? It's not a vital system, and yeah. it blows the whole thing up. It does help that the Enterprise-E has new torpedoes as quantum torpedoes, yes. which I don't think the Defiant had yet.
0: At what point do the Borg uh, transport over? Because, like... Is it from the cube or is it from that rescue ship? That The Sphere. The, the, sphere. From the Sphere, yeah. It's okay. definitely
2: from the Sphere. Okay. Because um, basically the way it's kind of framed, and it's a really quick kind of throwaway thing, is that once they go through the time vortex, their shields are down. Got it. Mm-hmm. And okay. that's when the transport happens. Um, because during the battle, their shields are up. And I don't know, it's a little silly because being able to beam through shields is something that happens. Like the Borg have been able to do that yeah. on the TV show anyway um so i'm not really sure why that's a particularly relevant thing maybe that was for more of like the general masses uh who are watching it but um yeah the sphere is interesting um is it the first time we saw a sphere i don't remember i think it's the first time we see anything that's not a cube yeah you know Um,
0: they just love shapes
2: they do well it's all (laughs) geometry yeah it is it's all because there's like the little diamond thing Mm -hmm. that's the queen's ship is a little diamond Um, and there's, you know, the tactical cube and there's, there's different stuff, but, um, no, the, this, this, the movie gets a couple of knocks from people who kind of look a little deep into the plot here. And the question is like, well, why not send more than one cube? Yeah. Right. Like they only ever send one. And unfortunately Voyager shatters any answer you could possibly come up with because like there's thousands of cubes in the Delta Quadrant. So they could have sent like, I don't know three <laughs> yeah. uh but they just send the one um so sphere is only supposed to hold like a dozen or so drones right it's a pretty small compliment uh, and it doesn't even sound like they beamed all of them over Mm-mm. you know maybe they only beamed over like the queen and like two drones or something
1: but with, you know with borg like you don't have to have a full you know right. full array you can go in with one or two and
2: get the right. job done absolutely um, now, I mean, I saw this first when I was a kid, so I, I don't really remember, but how, do you, either of you, when you watched it and you, you know, you heard the, the throwaway line about like, you know, the environmental controls being off and then the guy goes up in the Jeffrey's tubes and gets like attacked or whatever. Did you think immediately that well, that's obviously the Borg or did you think something else was going on?
1: Uh, I mean, when I first saw this, I hadn't seen all of next gen at that point. Cause I was a little bit older. Um, but, I mean, I knew it was First Contact and it was, like, the Borg movie. So, I mean, <laughs> it wasn't, like, the trailers and, like, the information I had received ahead of time had exactly masked the fact for me that, like, whatever the ominous start was going to be, that it was Borg.
0: Now, when Jordy just says the throwaway line, it's getting a little warm in here, I completely forgot why that even mattered. I right. was just like, oh, it's, it's, you know... 5 degrees short of people taking off their tops. Whatever.
2: <laughs> like Lavar just wanted to roll up his sleeves right. and he had Yeah. an excuse. Exactly.
0: <laughs> but no, when when Porter got captured, I yeah, it's very obvious that it's the Borg. Now, the only way that I would think it was something else, it like I, I don't know. You told me ahead of time that it was the Borg movie, so I assumed it was the Borg that nabbed him. But Trek is kind of notorious of bringing in multiple villains in one film so it, it they could have had a bait and switch and it would have been a completely different film but i would have been none the wiser ahead of time i just assumed that they were sticking with one villain throughout the whole thing
2: that's fair that's fair so all right so now we end up on earth in yeah. 2063 in mm-hmm. montana so, um, you know, they, they go down, they check the missile, all that stuff. And we're introduced to Alfrey Woodard.
0: Yeah. Lily. Yep.
2: Lily. She's mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. She is. She's really fun. It's, it's almost a shame she doesn't go back with that. I know. Yeah. I
0: wanted her and Picard to kiss so much. Right. Like just make out already. You two are wonderful.
2: Watch your caboose sticks. Um, <laughs> No, she's she's really cool. the The data dropping down from the higher level doesn't age particularly well, but <laughs> um, well, because most of the special effects in the movie do age pretty well because it's it's mostly practical yeah, effects. Yeah, the
0: Borg look great. Right, mm-hmm. the Borg
2: look good. The ship looks good, but um, that there scene. Are a few
0: moments. It's just
2: little I, things you
0: can. I forgive few moments if it's the entire film then I get really annoyed, because why am I watching this if half of it or most of it is unwatchable? But small things like that are completely, you know, it's fine to overlook.
1: Suspension of disbelief. Yeah. I mean, I'm a fan of Doctor Who, including the classic stuff, so I'm, I'm, you know, well-versed in overlooking really bad effects. That's fair.
0: Speaking of which, are the Borg, or are they not, Cybermen?
1: I mean... They're there, there was a comic series where like the two of them faced off uh, couple of years ago, and that was pretty cool. Yeah, but, I mean they're they're basically interchangeable. They have the in a same goal. The board yeah. are
0: just slightly more violent, in my opinion. Yeah. Like... And they're more capable, they're deadlier. It's easier to escape a Cyberman than
1: a yeah, Borg. Yeah, a little bit slower moving, but they're more, uh, you know,
2: the Cybermen are a little bit classier. They've got that whole British thing going for them, a little Very bit more shiny. refined. Very shiny. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Borg also come in like huge numbers all the time. Yeah. yeah right? The unless Cybermen it's are only
0: like five or ten, unless it's a huge area. Yeah. And yeah.
2: that's the thing, like the Borg are always in the thousands, in the millions, you know. It's yeah. it's only a handful of drones when, like, they weren't trying to find you, right? Just, <laughs> right.
0: You know, I'm convinced that old Doctor Who was very, very influenced by TOS, mm-hmm. at least Doctor 2 and Doctor 3. And then, you know, about the same time, Roddenberry was very influenced by, like, 4 and 5, so...
2: Yeah, I suppose, Yeah. I don't really watch Doctor Who, so it's hard for me to to have any perspective on that.
0: They are very, very similar shows.
2: Yeah.
1: They are my, as a fan, those are like probably my top two fandoms. Like Trek and Doctor Who are two things that I will, you know, sort of blindly follow into any new endeavor.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, the the Borg, you know, they they started off originally, they were supposed to be insect-like creatures, like beehives. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was not practical uh, financially to build that type of alien on the
1: show. Not until Enterprise. You know, know, for the species. Well, the Zindi. uh, The Zindi,
2: yeah. yeah. Um, But even they look pretty awful 20 years later. Yeah. Uh, Tech was not there yet. No. But, uh, but, yeah, so we got the Borg that that we had today, of course, but the the upgrade to the Borg from the TV show to the movie was huge mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and then, of course, Voyager got the advantage of just using that design moving forward, yeah. but well,
0: they deserve that special effects makeup, no, uh nomination. They should have won. Yeah. Like, I have no idea. I don't know
2: who they competed against or who they lost to that year. In the, a
0: period In piece.
2: 96, I don't yeah. really remember, but it's I can look that up. Always but...
0: period pieces. But <laughs> the board Queen is just an astounding costume. Mm-hmm. The makeup work, it looks like her flesh. I can't spot the bald cap. I can't spot yeah. where, like, those... Staples in her skin look real. Like, I, yeah. it's just intense. So, very well done.
1: And Alice, uh, I do you say her last name? Krieg is I fantastic in that yeah. role.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, she's wonderful. Um, and they, uh, they wanted to get her back for, um, for Voyager, but there was a scheduling issue, so she came back for the finale. Um, but she wasn't back for the the other episode, they actually had a different actor play the queen once. That's too bad. Um, but uh, yeah, she's great. There's some really cool behind the scenes stuff about that that scene where she comes down from the ceiling right? and everything, and then she's blue A12. screens. It, it did, did, right? It did. Um, really, really well done. There's actually a really cool, I just saw it within the last two days, a really cool behind
1: the scenes photo of Jonathan Frakes, like, leaning playfully up against Alice Creed, Yes! And you can see her, like, leaning into that, uh, like, the spine, uh, mm-hmm. piece of the suit, and, like, she's behind it, but it, it's such a cool effect, and, like, you know, Jonathan Frakes is a director like, geeking out, all happy,
2: like, it just, it's such a really cool photo. So, this is gonna be depressing for everybody involved. Yeah, probably. Uh, So, only three movies were nominated for that, uh, the Makeup Award in 1997's Oscars. Okay. Uh, which was, of course, Star Trek First Contact, Ghosts of Mississippi, and the winner... The Nutty Professor. Oh. Why? The Nutty Professor beat out the freaking Borg? Are oh, you kidding me?
0: that hurts. That does hurt. That's... That was such a bad movie. It was.
2: Like, they had all the Borg they had to do makeup for, Data and Worf. And somehow, like, a fat Eddie Murphy wins. Right. And, I mean, okay, makeup, whatever,
1: like... You know, give no. Eddie Murphy credit for playing multiple characters. That's great, but they should
0: win for Gates's blonde hair. Just oh, based yeah. on that, because that looked amazing.
1: It did. I, I mean, I loved. I prefer her as a redhead, but like, I was still like, oh, you did, you're you doing something new. I'm on board. I have a huge <laughs> unabashed crush uh, crush on Gates McFadden. Crush yeah. on
2: Crusher. I, I, uh, I have a crush on Crusher. I'm I'm a big Gates McFadden fan too. I always had a crush on her too, especially as a redhead. But she looks really good as a blonde. She does, even at her she... current age. If she was like, hey. What's going on? I think like, the uniform yes. does help because it's a really good looking uniform <laughs> it, it on is. everybody. Like, I think they all just look better in this movie. Troy mm.
0: looks better with straight
2: hair than she does at perm. Oh, She God. looks, okay, so I actually think she looks great when she's down on Earth in the bar and she's drunk and she's trying to, like, get... Time? You can't talk about time. We don't have time for that. <laughs> no I know time that's not the line. Don't argue so with sorry. me about time. No, you're fine. Don't have the time. Um, but I, I, she just looks really good in that scene. Um, and I
0: truly believe that Jonathan Friggs was like literally falling in love with Marina Sardis at that moment. <laughs> like, he was just, this is perfect. I love you. We're going to really get married.
2: Uh, I feel like the two of them are like, even in real life are very close. Like they always had good chemistry. They did. I think that's why their characters that, that arc continued for all the whole show and the movies because yeah. they, they had that chemistry anyway. Um, But, okay, so, yeah, so down on the planet, you've got Troy, and she's completely wasted trying to get Cochran to admit who he is and everything like that. If James could
0: never dance again, I'd be very happy. (laughs) I love James
1: Cromwell, but you're right, dancing is not his forte. I don't want to see him doing the ooby doobie ever again. That that (laughs) that wasn't too much.
0: Take as many leaks in the woods as you need. Mm -hmm, let's,
2: mm -hmm. Let's keep
0: dancing out of this.
2: So I I love the 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 Cochran character, and I'm a huge James Cromwell fan. And I know he's mm-hmm. he's played multiple roles on Star Trek. This yeah. obviously being his biggest and most important, uh, but this might be my favorite role of his in general because it's a just more
1: than more than the farmer on Babe, Derek. Are you trying to tell me de- this definitely, definitely more than the farmer on Babe? <laughs> That'll do, pig.
2: <laughs> Um, but th- this character is so important to the Star Trek mythos, and I yes. like the how they humanized him as this guy who really wasn't out to try and change the world. He wanted to make money,
1: he wanted to get drunk and have sex with strippers.
2: But he, ma- he 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 rose to the occasion. Yeah, right. When he realized yeah. what it meant,
1: mm-hmm. he met that, and that is the embodiment of Trek. It's self it's self improvement. It is growth. It is optimism, and and Cochran is a, a perfect symbol of that.
0: But honestly, like I totally get where he's coming from. All those people showing the hero worship, Jordy mm-hmm. mentioning the statue—I'd want to walk away from that too. There's sure. a lot of pressure. The sure, That's a lot of pressure on your shoulders. A lot so, of pressure,
1: just in general. But when you figure in the historical context, at this point—this is like a fringe society that has survived this terrible World War Three. Like, I can understand. Cool. Like, I wanna live for the moment. I wanna get drunk. I wanna have a lot of sex. I want to make a lot of money. I want to retire somewhere on an island. I don't want to make the world a better place because I've lived through this traumatic war and I've seen what it's done to this planet. I don't believe that there can be better for this world. And so, um I get it. I get his character. The context is important and I love what he
2: becomes. So I'm gonna admit something that was a misunderstanding when I was a kid. <laughs> So – because, I mean, when this movie came out, I was nine. Uh So I've been watching this movie since I was nine. And when I was a kid, I misunderstood that he wanted to sell the ship technology to be rich and then get an island full of naked women. I thought he wanted to take the ship as a means of transport. (laughs) And I thought – when I saw it, I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would he go to outer space just to come back to an island? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> didn't he, he know where it was gonna take him <laughs> and you can't put that many
1: naked women on that ship it was was right, like a three
2: seating sh- cedar ship this makes no sense there's, you gotta be multiple trips for all those naked women and then at some point i watched it again in college and paid attention i was like uh, <laughs> Yeah.
1: now it's all coming together
2: so there's a little bit about me that's uh, very cute.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, your entire goal is to go to space and stay there. Like that's not
2: everybody's goal. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I didn't think he would. His goal was to be stuck in space, but you know, just if your goal is to go from Montana to an island, you certainly don't need a warp ship. So, right, right. <laughs> it's not that far of a flight. It's a very creative middleman. Right. <laughs> <to me. laughs> it's, 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 um, okay, so, uh, yeah, but to, to your point, like, yeah, um, you know, he went to Z- Zephyr and in high school, and, you know, Barkley's all giddy over him and everything, and, um...
0: They could have toned that down a bit, it... You know, they didn't have to make him feel so awkward.
2: Well, especially since the temporal prime directive is a thing that they call out in the movie. Yeah. Right? They totally just disregard it. To-
1: totally throw it out the window. <laughs> like, you can give way
2: Janeway in. a hard time about ignoring the prime direct- the temporal prime directive, yeah. which is true. But, like, this whole crew does it. Oh, yeah. Right? So, yeah, they, they totally should have toned that down a little bit. But then you don't, you know, get to have Riker shoot Cochran in the back. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, which is a fun moment, but mm-hmm. uh, so of course all this stuff is happening. Uh, I like the Barkley, uh, I don't, yeah. not cameo, but his little bit role because I, I think Barkley is a highly underrated character. Yeah,
1: as we've talked about in a few previous episodes. For those of you keeping score at home, we did a best, uh, did we, we, did. Do we did best
2: guest appearance, and it was yeah. Barkley. Is that what yeah, yeah, that was the one that I chose. Barkley was
0: also chosen for our cast the first time we mm-hmm. did the Ultimate Star Trek crew.
2: Yeah, uh, Barkley is just he's a really. Cool character, incredibly intelligent and smart. He was he was basically Tilly before Tilly. Yes. You know, he was a flawed person who had very real issues that people could relate to. Now, he's not the same character as Tilly, of course, but no. you know, he had a stuttering problem. He had social anxieties. Uh, you know, he had confidence issues, but incredibly intelligent. Yes. Um, and hell, he's basically responsible for helping bring Voyager home. Yeah. Um, you know, in a lot of ways. And so... I like Barclay and what he embodies, and I mean, hell, I hope we see more of him. It would be cool. I I think you could have him in the Picard show pretty easily. Oh, yeah. Without any problems. Yeah. And that would be really great. But, but you know uh, yeah. And as a side note,
1: I don't want to see the card show be strict fan service where they're just carting out cameos everywhere. No, no. But I also don't want it to be exist in a bottle where they totally ignore that there are all these other characters yeah. that are important either. Like, right. There's gotta be a balance that they can find.
2: I wanna see some of this that we talk about. Yes. Not literally every bit of it. If we saw all yeah. of it, I'll be disappointed. These I don't are... I don't need to get everything I want. Right. <laughs> That would be terrible. These are just different things we would like... Yes. ...individually. Yes. Um, For sure. So, okay, so all that stuff's happening down the planet. Meanwhile, on the ship, the Borg are spreading and they're taking over. Mm -hmm. It's Um, pretty sad
0: watching all those people get assimilated. Like, I I think the first time I watched it, it wasn't so real to me. But, you know, I I grow older and death means more to me. It affects me more. Things like plagues and uh, pain mean more to me. So just watching all of that is it, it was much more emotional this time around than it was the first time
2: mm-hmm. yeah I mean the Borg are a plague right mm-hmm. I mean that's they basically are. what they are
0: they're zombies they're space zombies yeah. right
2: it's the Star Trek zombie flick mm-hmm. um, no I, I think that's a great point um, so so yeah it is really intense and you've got so you have the, the sick bay scene where Robert Picardo yeah, yeah. gets his little role. That's fun. Which, so, I
0: really enjoy that.
2: Speaking of, like, fan service
1: that's not uh, overly heavy, you get Robert Picardo, you get, uh... Ethan Phillips. Ethan, Ethan Phillips, like, they do a few fun nods.
2: Well, all three, between Barkley, um uh the emh and sort of neelix yeah right like i mean you get Hollow, these three neelix. little kind of cameos which is yeah. super cool right and like you don't even really notice it it's just as part of the story
1: right and it was very smartly done again some further cementing that this is one of the best trek films
2: and the emh gets a very trek line right <laughs> i'm a doctor not, <laughs> not a doorstop, door stop shop. right so it's a throwback to bones yeah you know and it's very in character for the doctor mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. except he's wearing the new uniform which i thought was a nice little touch yeah um which maybe that makes it sense.
0: It makes sense that their EMH would look like their yeah EMHs. Yeah, the, the, the I hol- wanted to say employees. <laughs> yeah.
1: The holodeck program would have been, or not holodeck, but the
2: the program would have been updated for that ship, and that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's a really cool moment. Yeah, you got the holodeck. So okay, so I have a little bit of a problem with the holodeck scene, uh, and it's not like what, what, what happens necessarily, but all right, so it's Dixon Hill. Sure. And it's Dixon Hill because it's a throwback to the show when he did Dixon Hill a few times and to kind of bring you more of Picard's character of who he is, right?
0: It's also to honestly get a very attractive woman, Alfre Woodard, in better <laughs> looking clothes than hobo outfit. Yeah. Like, yeah. To be completely honest. It, Future hobo. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. You get Patrick Stewart in a white suit. She's in a dress. You know, and know. they look
0: amazing. They're a good looking couple.
2: They really do. Uh, that's a fair point. But so it's a little convoluted for me cuz the whole point is he he needs to get to the right chapter to get a Tommy gun so he can kill the Borg. Yeah. With with bullets rather than energy Ooh. weapons. So a couple of things I want to pull from this. One, why not just have the holodeck Maybe, make you a yeah. weapon yeah can't they can, just
0: replicate
2: it can do that well but, even if you don't use the replicator for me because i'm going to get to that but in the holodeck just yeah. say holodeck i need a tommy gun right. and it gives you a tommy gun right but you don't need the narrative
1: you for don't it. but you but
2: it's it's a movie you gotta have that dramatic aspect to it there's got to be a goal now it does let him have the really emotional moment of like the shouting and like about to like bash yes. its head in and she has to PTSD stop ptsd flare-up flashback whatever you call it which comes up later yes. in the uh, in the conference room. I don't yeah. think the
0: conference room makes sense if you omit a scene where he he doesn't already step over the line. You know, yeah. like you have to show multiple steps; otherwise, it's just you out there saying that this guy
1: is out of control. And, and a, a lot of movies have this problem. Trek aside, uh, but this movie definitely exhibits that, where there is a constant battle between plot and character. And so there are some movies that are better character films and other movies that are better plot films. And and it always seems like there's this constant battle of like, finding that balance. It's like, if I want to make an intellectually uh, realistic film about this character and what they're going through, there's going to be some questionable plot choices. And if oh. I want a plot that's believable, then some of these characters are going to occasionally behave in a way that doesn't quite make
2: sense. Sure. And that's fair. And I, I think that Picard is in character in this movie i know a lot of people yeah. knock him for becoming an action star all of a sudden but i think because it's, it's the board makes sense exactly this isn't the klingons this isn't the romulans this is the borg mm-hmm. and that makes him unstable which yeah. is what the admiral was worried about mm-hmm. the admiral is not wrong no. right picard is an unstable element in this scenario mm-hmm. and he proves that later on now he's a necessary element no one else is going to defeat them. No. Because you need someone with that knowledge, that connection to defeat the Borg. But he is unstable. Um, and so, my other issue that comes from this is the replicator system, right? So, by now, this is not the first time, the second time the Borg have been encountered. After Wolf 359, and they destroyed dozens of ships and thousands of lives, including Cisco's wife. Including Cisco's wife. At what point? Do you have a protocol where you have non-energy weapons available to fight the Borg? Mm. I think
0: the last thing that Roddenberry wants is to see his Trek crew hold handguns. Yeah. And honestly, it does kind of like ruin the image of the Utopia if the whole crew does it. If one man goes rogue, that's fine. And maybe that one man... Should have replicated a gun or two because obviously Alfred Woodard's character has no qualms about a regular gun either. So I, I don't know.
2: I, I think that it's I think that it's a little disingenuous is too strong of a word, but it's silly. I think to look at the phasers especially the phaser rifles that are used in this yes. movie and somehow say well because it's an energy light pulse it's somehow better than a bullet. No, I agree, yeah. right? Especially when like she was going to literally vaporize Picard if he she had shot it, yeah. right? Yeah. Like and they show that happening in Star Trek, the mm-hmm. vaporizing and it is a painful looking procedure. Yeah, right? And so for me it just seems kind of of silly for there to be any in universe or even out of universe explanation for why by the time first contact is happening there isn't a contingency plan for non-energy weapons against the borg because what are they going to adapt to maybe you can't retrofit your ships but from a hand-to-hand combat scenario how hard would it be to replicate some guns
1: yeah yeah Not hard at all.
2: You know, and I would think that, okay, maybe the average crew member can't do it, but you'd think Picard certainly has the authority to have the computer do that for at least that security detail he puts together with Data and Worf. Yeah. Correct. You know? Because even worse, like, look, you'll get 12 shots at most. Mm -hmm. That's not a lot of shots. (laughs) No. And if you can spend half as many shots with actual bullets and get the job
1: done, then
2: right so i just that's always kind of bothered me a bit i get early on that it wouldn't have happened mm-hmm. because we didn't really know them and even at wolf 359 we wouldn't have been ready for them but at this point but after wolf 359 you yeah. think we would be somewhat prepared for something like this sure
1: but there's also the added element of like this is a sci-fi movie for fans that you know for that try to um uh, be for everyone and so like at bullets you know may not have been alright well you choice. can
2: extend it look at Voyager Voyager never even switches to non-energy weapons against the Borg yeah no, that's, true. Yeah, that's no. true so even even they don't figure it out they go they switch to the nanovirus stuff but they're still using phasers I, and I love so, Voyager
1: but I mean I that, that you can put that on the long list of problems <laughs> <have> <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, people who listen to the show know I love Voyager too. But I mean, you know, there's some consistency problems when it comes to like some logical leaps, for sure. All right, so anyway, so um, so yeah, so there's some intensity here. Like, you know, she points out, uh, Lily points out that this is one of his crew members. He's got the insignia, you know, in his chest, and you know, um, Ensign
0: Lynch,
2: Ensign Lynch. And it's a pretty big moment later in the conference room when you know she explains like he didn't even try to save him. And there's an interesting point to be made here because Picard was assimilated for an extended period of time, and his crew brought him back. Yeah. What about all these Borg? Right. Right. Like, you know, at what point do you justify trying to save somebody? He goes back to save Data. Mm -hmm. But no, nobody else, right? And and some of that, I guess, is for seven and
0: nine was. (laughs) desimulated <laughs> like i i don't know if that's a word i'm having fun
2: she yeah she was she was brought back as well and you know
0: so we know in canon it's totally possible and not just on one occasion you know they mentioned how special picard is mm-hmm. but 7 and 9 wasn't special she was taken as a little kid and
1: but picard with his particular experience and his ptsd it's very likely that he can look at these people and think I know what I deal with. I don't want anyone else to have to be dealing with this as well. And so it makes an easier choice with him. Like, because he even makes the line, he's like, you know, if you get close, kill them, basically, because, you know.
0: They're not you'll who be, you are. You'll
1: be doing them a favor. Yeah. yeah, that's the line. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he
0: does. He puts uh, one of his crew members out of yeah. their misery.
1: It doesn't mean that he's happy about it, but he knows the suffering that he lives with on a daily basis, and he feels justified in not inflicting that on anyone else.
0: When you guys first saw Neil McDonough, who mm-hmm. uh, plays Hawk, yeah, um, great name by the way. Like, yeah. uh, you guys knew like he he existed to die later on, mm-hmm. right? Very he's simple. like a slightly famous face, but mm-hmm. not not super famous enough to keep on board.
1: So. A TNG
2: red shirt, mm-hmm. if you will. I wasn't a hundred percent sure, simply because. The movies had done this with like Savick, Uh for example, right? She's introduced in Star Trek two. She returns in Star Trek three and a little bit before and she's supposed to be in six, but because of the casting problems, they they decided to go another way. So the idea of introducing a character in a movie and keeping them around wasn't new to Trek. So there was actually a part of me who is like, Oh, they're just expanding the cast a little bit now that they're like really doing these movies, you know, this is happening. Sure. Um,
0: that's stereotypical horror film. The new it face is, is usually yeah. the first to go. But yeah. he wasn't. He
2: went much later. He did. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, he
0: is one of the few ones with a name that gets to go. Yeah. Like it's, it's Porter Lynch in
1: him. <laughs> he, he at least had a noble end. He got to be part of something before dying.
2: We, we know his last name, unlike Guy. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, Galaxy Quest. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway. Anyway. So, um, yeah, so the, the, the ship, they just keep losing the ship. They do the deflector dish mm-hmm. scene. Uh, I have some opinions about the deflector dish scene. What about you guys? Uh, I do. I do have some opinions. What are and they? Like. <laughs> uh, Care to share? Yeah.
0: magnetic boots. That's my only
1: opinion. It's, yeah. it's fun. It's a very cinematic action film scene. Um,
0: I think it's way too slow. It to is be very an well, action right. scene like. It's, they, try <laughs> it's to do, they try to
1: do the suspense thing. they, they thing trailed though. It's a big tonal shift. Um, the uh, little pieces of the fun behind the scenes fact: the little pieces of the deflector dish were actually bird feeders.
2: Uh, oh man, that's hilarious! Yeah, a, I totally the, see the old, that like, now. Stick in
1: the ground bird feeders. Um, I. I love, I mean, I love Worf's line, the assimilate this. It's like a typical action movie, like, nonsense. Right. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was cool seeing those characters interact, and, like, there was a bit of dramatic tension, and, like, you know, the Borgs floating away. Like, it was a well-done scene. Not the highlight of the film by any means, but but it's something that I, I like. The mm-hmm. whole stepping out the first time on the underside, everything's flipped upside so down. So cool. Like, that is cool. That's like a great see, shot. I the,
0: uh, ingenuity. That mm-hmm. It took for Picard to shoot the ship, shoot yeah. Instead of the Borg, mm-hmm. watching them float away like that was pretty amazing, and I, I didn't understand why he didn't just finish it off.
2: Yeah, like, that's a fair point. I he mean, got well,
0: one that way. They was- do
2: talk about like if you hit the deflector, you basically destroy half the ship right I so you know if you shoot the ones that were actually over there then you risk blowing up the ship
1: he was very much against pulling
2: up the ship <laughs> we will <were> <laughs> talk about no um the line is here uh, is far, no farther. i i i don't buy that wharf gets nauseous <laughs> on a spacewalk i don't buy it yeah. at all Worf is kind of weird, though. (laughs)
0: Why do they consistently try to make him weak to make others look stronger? Like, that bothers me so much. I want to see him just kick some ass over and over again.
1: I agree, though. The show does emasculate Worf on a regular basis. And, and it it's not necessary. to make somebody else look better. Right, because it's Always. like, if this Klingon is being emasculated, then Picard must be really strong for telling him off. Right. Or like, yeah.
2: even just the the spacewalk or, is like, yeah. well, if, if Worf gets nauseous, but Picard doesn't. Right. And right? Picard's like, cracking it's jokes crazy. about it, like, right. you know. Do
0: Klingons have multiple stomachs? They do. Well. Ma- oh, well then, maybe that's why. <laughs> I mean, this is, this oh, is interesting. <laughs> this is
2: <pretty laughs> You're welcome. Had, so is only one of his stomachs <laughs> nauseous? Uh, or how does that work? <laughs> Um, this is what i love about
1: deep space nine that was a side note is that like they don't they don't rely on that as much like no. Worf gets to be very much his own powerful you know self-actualized person
2: that's true uh we do get to see the mechleth which is the smaller blade yeah, weapon yeah. which is super cool very much yeah so. uh, i do love the touch of him tying the borg's arm to his suit to to stop <laughs> the air from leaking out it's yeah. a very wharf thing to do yes uh, so that's pretty spot on to me um, the the problem I have with this, and this may just be like a technical spec issue that I'm not aware of, so if anybody out there understands the specs of the Enterprise-E better, um, are, they're detaching the main part of the deflector dish, right? Yeah. So, that, doesn't that mean they can't really go anywhere because it's what deflects all the space debris from flying through the ship?
1: Hmm. I mean... That seems seems like a good point.
2: Okay. I don't know. Like, I thought that's I, what that I, is.
1: I, I I honestly, I don't know exactly what the deflector dish is for. Well, that's, that's, now.
2: that's what it's for. Like, the deflector dish is in canon. It's designed to deflect objects and small sure. objects in front of the ship. So sure. rocks, space dust, meteorites, that I, type of thing. I imagine
1: Sans deflector dish, they'd have to rely more heavily on front-facing shields. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I get maybe. Um, but somehow...
1: It
0: really warp? i guess right so
2: Uh, i I mean i guess for warp would be a bigger concern so i guess they go through the they they can move at impulse maybe okay and then they just go back through the time vortex and they're back at earth and they just get a new deflector dish because they're already at earth yeah yeah. okay um, oh, speaking of which, it's a missed opportunity to not show Earth's space dock. Yeah, in this movie, or the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> got to have the uh, requisite Golden Gate Bridge shot. <laughs> Almost getting hit, but not quite. Not quite. Um, okay, so that's a cool scene. Um, we move on from that. We've got the launch of the Phoenix, which mm-hmm. is a great name mm-hmm. for yes. for the ship.
1: For it's, it's a great la- It's a great name for. Uh, just Trek history at that point in time and, and what it symbolizes. So,
2: Well, I, th- I think it, it, it also symbolized a lot for what the ship was because it was built on a yeah. nuke. Yeah. Right? And this is after World War III. So, the you know, it's basically it's being reborn as this ship of peace for the future. Yeah,
1: reborn from the ashes of our conflict into peace for our future, which is I love it, that. It's beautiful.
2: Yeah. I really love that. Uh, Phoenix is my favorite mythological creature. So Same. that's yeah. a little bit bias there
0: unicorns Uh-oh. bitches
2: alright All right. <laughs> no judgment I'll take the flying fire bird that can be reborn <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway so uh, yeah so the ship launches I love the music moment where he yeah. can't find wait wait we can't take off can't take off without it uh, so for anybody here who thought the whole Beastie Boys thing and Beyond was not canon, yeah, we got uh, Steppenwolf here in '96. <laughs> There's been pop music in Trek, not yes. often,
1: but it's there. And, and honestly, like, I mean, we'll get to this maybe when we discuss those movies. But like, I, I do love the Beastie Boys. <laughs> like, that, I, I love that song. I'm and it's not used in those in movies no. Yeah.
2: Um, Especially in Beyond, I will say that uh, the fact that we've moved to sh- to streaming music is really sad because I'm never going to get music on those cool little crystal discs. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would always thought that was going to happen someday. Well, <laughs> so. yeah. look, Derek, we
1: are on the cusp of World War 3 anyways. So <laughs> oh, who knows what technology is oh, going to do as we have to survive this
2: nightmare? Oh God, oh God! But it's okay. 2063, it's coming. <sighs> it's coming. Yeah, um, some of us might be alive for it. So, what do you think of the Phoenix itself? How do you? Like, I know Ray, you're not a big ship person, so I apologize. That's but fine. Go ahead. What do you get? What do you think of the ship of the actual Phoenix?
1: I mean, I like it. It looks very reminiscent of early uh, spacecraft, and you know NASA's uh, lineage. Um, I, uh, as a side note, I'm a big Enterprise fan, and I love the that the opening sequence uses that. Yes. I, you know. I think I'm in a small minority, but I do like the the opening sequence. I like the faith of the heart song. Like I yeah. love that that shot where the ship like they, they actually get the footage from first contact and it bursts open. It's like it just it's beautiful and optimistic and hopeful. And uh, I like the rickety kind of worn-in aspect of it because so much of Trek you see these polished ships of the future after we've been developing space uh, flight for you know space uh, travel for so long. Uh, it's nice to see that the the heritage not only comes from the uh, ruins of our conflicted past but uh, it's not exactly stable it's a yeah. little shaky and that's cool you don't see much of that in track.
2: Mm-hmm. No, i do like that uh, i like the little nacelles because mm-hmm. they're very they're very yeah, reminiscent yeah. of what you know the original enterprise nacelles would end up looking like yeah
1: very very cute um, nacelles
2: and i i actually really do like the intro to enterprise especially mm-hmm. that evolution of the ship and i think that it's a nice transition it's you and me versus the you world know, <laughs> <laughs> i guess so right uh it's a nice transition though from the phoenix to the nx-01 you know um, i think they, they bridge that gap really well so i like that um yeah. So, okay, so then, of course, you've got the 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 intense parts on the ship. So, Picard ref- you know, doesn't want to blow up the ship, and he tells off Worf. Yeah. Uh, which is a pretty crazy moment. And if, if this— It if was this...
0: incredibly undeserved. You know, it's one of the uh, more disappointing things that Picard has ever done.
2: Yeah absolutely but
1: and and not to jump ahead and like squelch that moment but more importantly than him kind of being shitty to wharf in that moment i love that the movie because they could have cut it it wasn't necessarily important to the film but i love that there was that moment where picard comes back and apologizes in fact you're one of the bravest men that i've ever known and like like we all have like these these outbursts and these moments of of struggle and the fact that wharf or not Worf, but the fact that picard showed up afterwards and like made a point of like yeah i messed up and i need to do i need to make right by this like That's something that I don't think we see enough cinematic or or television heroes actually doing, is admitting fault and then growing.
2: Yeah, I mean, Picard is a flawed character, and... His flaws are shown in the show, and his relationship with Worf is shown in the show. Yeah. There are things Picard gets to do on Kronos with Worf that humans don't get to do.
1: Yeah, they do have a very unique relationship for a human and a Klingon.
2: And so if you know the show and you know those characters, these moments are even more intense than they already are, mm-hmm. if this was your entry point into Trek. Um, and, you know, they, they play around with the dialogue really well, you know, because You know, I want to, up. I regret some of the things that I said earlier. It's like some, you know, (laughs) I love their, Uh, and yeah, because there's that respect on both sides. Yes. Right. And you know, I, I appreciate that even though Picard basically gave Worf the biggest insult somebody could give him at this point in his life. Yeah. He still respects Picard enough to just walk away. Right. And not just knock his head off. <laughs> I know. And if, if this is your introduction to
1: Trek, you don't realize how big of a deal it is that Worf's just like, fine, if I'm going to give I you any other,
2: If you were any other man, I would kill you where you stand. And like, yeah. it's just such a well-delivered line and it's intense. And it's not an empty
1: threat either. It's, no. <laughs> it is true.
2: No. And uh, I mean, they, they changed Worf's look a little bit in this, mm-hmm. in this movie because his look changes also when he moves over to Deep Space Nine a little yes. bit. And so he just looks a little bit... Like more intense, the makeup work is more sophisticated and mm-hmm. looks more real, mm-hmm. and so that that adds into it as well. Um, so then he goes and has his talk with Lily, yeah, and Ahab mm-hmm. and hunting his whale. You broke your little ships, Ray. What are your opinions of that conference room scene?
0: I I don't know
2: because you have a strong literature background. I so. do,
0: I do, and I love comparisons to. Moby Dick, especially, because I feel like, um, I, I don't know, maybe it's my perspective, but I feel like men, in particular, have a Moby Dick complex at some point or another. So if you guys haven't had it yet, maybe, you know, your lives aren't over. Maybe when you're 60 and on, like a, my moments. on a spaceship. Um, but I love that she calls him out on it, too. I love that she doesn't just take this anger And let it go. Because that's not what Trek is. We don't... Mm -hmm. Like, any other sci-fi would let this man have a temper tantrum and go about his plan and kill much more people. But she sticks with it and they work through the conflict and she brings him down. And that's what I truly liked about the scene. Because that is what Star Trek's all about, is working through conflict and, you know, resolving things, not escalating. So, the fact that he wouldn't back down and wouldn't back down until... You know she got right in his face. It was like, "Fine, well, you know, we're gonna go escape. You do whatever the hell you want,
1: yeah, well, and how many movies I mean outside of Trek at this point in time would have a woman side character call out the male protagonist and have the male protagonist actually respond well to it, like which in my opinion like speaks highly of of trek
0: I mean inequality crusher. Crusher is in no place to do it she questioned it once Mm -hmm. and she's used to things working out for Picard so she just trusts that this will too yeah even though she kind of knows that it's going to be at the expense of much more people's lives so it's it needed to be this outsider who doesn't trust Picard very much and doesn't trust anybody else she just wants to live.
2: See, and that's the, actually the only part that bothered me, was that I actually think that TV show Crusher would have said something, but because yeah. Lily's there, her character's not allowed to say something. That's
0: fair. Movie Crusher is disappointing.
2: Yeah. She's
0: not as good as TV show Crusher.
2: It's it's frustrating because Lily takes the role that Crusher would have taken otherwise, Uh-huh. And because of that, her character has less to do, mm-hmm. you know? And Crusher is never one to just take Picard's orders, ever. Right. True. She question If she does not completely agree with what he has to say, she questions. Because she's the only one on a, at a rank who can. Yeah. You know? She right. can order him to do stuff if the situation calls for it. And not only does rank, they have the personal history to where that's appropriate. Yes. And she doesn't get to do that here because Lily has to do it. And like, Al- Alfre Woodard does an amazing job on that. It's no knock on her. It's just because Lily's there, Crusher has to do less. Yes. And that yeah, bothers okay.
1: me a little bit. No, that's fair. Um, that's fair. I do also think, though, that there are some points in our lives where the people closest to us aren't able to adequately speak to the trauma that we're feeling. And it, it may take an outside a person to be like, oh, okay, now I see it.
2: I, I love the scene in the conference room. I love when he just becomes furious and he crashes the wall, you know? Mm-hmm. She's got the line mm-hmm. about how you broke your little ships. A little,
0: little um, autobiographical. It's
2: a little autobiographical. Um, and I. But that's that's why I connect so much with the Picard character, right? I want to grow up sure. and be Picard, but I'd want to serve under Janeway. I say it all the time on the show. <laughs> um, because I feel more like Picard, mm-hmm. but I trust Janeway with my life, right? Yeah. So... Um, the scene is just really telling because I feel like I would have reacted, emotionally anyway, in a very similar way to the way Picard does. Yeah. I would be furious. I would be angry. I would want revenge but try and come up with some logical way to explain why it's not actually revenge and it's mm-hmm. really fine that I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. And the Ahab reference – that. Is perfect for picard because picard is a red man he's a a sophisticated man he even has this whole quote memorized Mm -hmm. from the book and everything and she hasn't even read it right i (laughs) love that
0: there is nothing better for me than a literature fan who has not read a book because (laughs) that is pretty much all english majors during college were assigned like 30 books a month and so we cliff notes all of them. <laughs> We've never actually read a full book. You, you, know, you know each
1: of these books intimately without having actually finished a single, single one. Yeah.
2: I like the idea of somebody who clearly already, like this is such an iconic story. You know the basics, mm-hmm. right? So you can use it as a frame of reference and I appreciate it's, that she still comes out and says actually I never read <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and that's the when, when someone has a self awareness to admit that they haven't like read or like consumed a piece of media, like that takes a level of, of humility. There
0: is a, a shame to it. Like there if you is. haven't seen or read or mm-hmm. watched or you know, Absolutely. people shame you for not being hip on the times. So yeah, you're, you I know.
1: still haven't seen Game of Thrones, and I get a lot of shade
2: because of it. The Godfather. What I've never seen the Godfather I movies. Forgetting this. Every time yeah. we have this conversation, it shocks sure. me to my core. Yep.
0: Most of sci-fi, Aliens.
2: Yeah.
1: Terminator. we're
2: gonna uh, fix that day. though. Most of the same <laughs> before of the wedding, before the wedding, <laughs> <laughs> Monday. Uh, Monday, Monday, um, Anyway, yeah. um, I put no,
0: sci-fi but... day at home on the calendar, and he thinks it's gonna be aliens and Terminator. It's really just gonna be a Mad Max marathon.
2: <laughs> ain't nothing wrong with that. Uh, do we have to watch the Mel Gibson ones? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um. Anyway, so <laughs> So – but this scene is really important because she says, actually, I never read it. And so he explains a little bit more about it. And it gives her then the chance to say, well, I guess he didn't know when to quit. Yeah. -hmm. Right? Because she's trying to appeal to his intellect. And that's who he is Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. He's the diplomat. He is the Federation's diplomat. That's why Cisco and Janeway are so different. The dichotomies are really strong. They're very different personalities. And so that's how you get him to agree. And I just think it works really well. It's a really cool moment with a character we hadn't seen before, and I think it's really hard to do that with an ensemble cast. Yeah, you know, because you expect it to be Crusher, you expect it to be Riker, or you want it to
0: be those characters. And like like you said, there is kind of a (laughs) sadness that you get when it's not one of those. When it is, as an outsider who's never coming back to the series.
2: But it almost, you know, thinking it through, it almost shows just how unhinged Picard is when Worf of all people is like, we should stop and destroy the Borg anyway." we can. <laughs> right. When he's done fighting mm-hmm. and you're still ready to rumble, yeah, you need to kind of check yourself at that yeah, point, right? Because he loves a good fight, but yeah. he's also not an idiot. Right. <laughs> you know? right. So, um, so, yeah. So, of course, they decide to blow up the ship and then you get the big... Climax scene in the engineering room with the Queen and Data and Picard. It's one of the best scenes. So how do you guys feel about the whole Data with real skin
0: thing? Oh, it's so creepy.
2: (laughs) In a good way or a bad way? No. Not in a good way? You didn't like it? I get what she was
1: going for, but it was creepy.
0: Yeah, they're trying to make him like Frankenstein's monster. It's definitely very elusive to that. So it it just bothered me the whole time because... Data is far from a undeserving, unintelligent life form that you're trying to elevate. Like he's he's not a simpleton that you just piece together. Sorry, bitch. Like, <laughs> right, that's <laughs> how this
2: goes. Well,
1: but more than just the Frankenstein's monster aspect, I feel like we would be remiss not to note the incredible sexual tension between it's <laughs> so weird it's so weird why it did not feel natural at all but i mean hey they both they're both machines so i mean fully functional and multiple techniques yeah i mean when we're assuming what this is the first uh person he would have been intimate with since tasha
2: well they actually date it correctly when he says how like she asks him yeah, how long it's been long or whatever been, yeah and it dates back to yeah. uh that episode so yeah like that's kind of a cool moment Mm-hmm. that they reference that so for like the Trek fans out there who watch TNG can have that oh moment and everybody yeah. else is like okay no. <laughs> yeah, seven years ago whatever uh,
0: let me just say that under the society's current climate it it's a little rapey like she is still his keeper he is still the hostage the prisoner even if he does kind of consent mm-hmm. it's not cool it's
1: consent under duress yeah
0: it's coercion mm-hmm. or, you know, it's just not very pleasant to watch. So it it was something I, I just had to kind of squirm at and look away. And I, yeah. there's so many of those where if it was gender swapped in movies, if it was the dude coming on to the woman in this particular case, it would be much creepier. But for some reason we give women passes for this. It's like when the teacher... Yeah. a female and yeah, hooks up true. with her male students. Other guys are like, yes, that's awesome. No, it's not. And it's
2: still statutory.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's just a little weird for me.
2: That's fair. I mean, they, they get a little bit of a bump, too, because neither of them are really human, and so you can right. disconnect a little bit more. Yeah. And...
0: I'm just saying, like, it's it's not the worst offender this year that made me score, but
1: it's <laughs> no. not... And, and that's the problem, like, just as a side note, that's the problem with consuming media from a couple decades ago now is that there are a lot of things that have shifted even in the last couple of years really? that uh, we just weren't engaging with in a way uh, previously. And so to see it come up, you're like, oh, man, yeah, that would not fly in a movie today at all.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, so, you know, there's not a whole lot that goes on in that scene. Um, Picard tries to convince her to let Data go. Mm-hmm. Not really sure what the whole point is because she knows that the self-destruct is on. So mm-hmm. even if he decides to join her, they're all going to blow up anyway. So yeah. uh, I'm not right. sure what his what right. anybody's goal is at that point. Like, That's fair. Um,
0: the coolest part, clearly, is when Data emerges from the fog and the skin is gone and his mm-hmm. uh, androids parts are revealed. Like that was really fun mm-hmm. special effects. It, it was. was.
2: It's the first time you get to see what his eyes look like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm um and so they did a really good job with that and yeah it's the most of him really exposed that we've ever seen we get to see you know part of his arm and most of his face and it's really cool looking um i love that line about like you know how he thought for a time zero point was it (laughs) zero
1: point six three or six three seconds for an android that's eternity it's an eternity
2: uh, but it's an interesting point, though, right? Because it means, like, think of how many you, know, you, you hear throughout the show, like, how many calculations he can make in a second, right? Trillions of, of calculations. Yeah. So he thought it through a few trillion times, yeah. is what that means, right? And so, you know, it's
0: like Doctor Strange. I-
2: <laughs> right, exactly. It's okay. exactly yeah. like that. So, you know, Picard's like, oh, okay, that's nothing. But really, he did process that information a great deal, and it was very appealing to him in the moment, um, which I think is kind of interesting the special effects of her dying looks pretty freaking cool still Mm -hmm. uh i still think they did an amazing job right like just really solid um the special effect again the special effects are just mostly really good Uh in this movie some of the gas effects are not great um they don't hold up perfectly but overall Mm -hmm. you know pretty pretty solid yeah yeah any other thoughts on kind of that big climax battle no. You have Indiana Jones Picard swinging yeah. from the... It was fun. <laughs> yeah, fun. Fun is the best way to describe it. I'm fine with it. I, it's right, fine. Just
0: let it go at this point. Come on.
2: Um, so, okay. So then we come back to the the planet.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Earth, as it were. Um, <laughs> and uh, the Vulcans show up. And we get to see a cool old Vulcan ship. And they try and do the uh, the Vulcan salute. And I just want to put it on record
0: that's that. that from cochran can't do it either
2: so you're yeah. justified not right. being able to do it all right if if, Coch- if cochran's good enough for a handshake so am i damn it um so it's a fun scene right yeah, yeah. you get to see it's it's interesting the vulcans drink some alcohol they do which is something they don't really do and they're startled by the music and you, you know like when he sits back down
1: after like cochran's like no, no it's okay like he sits back down at the end and you're like you know they're thinking like what the fuck and it's like in that, <laughs> in that moment he's probably thinking like yep we're gonna have to suppress these people for generations and, and
2: then you watch enterprise and you're like cut to cut to enterprise and we're suppressing these people for generations because they suck absolutely that's it's a it's a fun moment i appreciate that the crew like stays around to kind of watch this moment in history yeah, happen yeah you know um, it's such an
1: important moment in, in trek history and why then not?
0: then so, they yeah. go back home really cute line that's lily and picard and be each other for what they're about yeah. to do is that is was fun cute. yeah the whole grass is greener is nice when you reflect on it but you don't go for it
2: mm-hmm. yeah they both respect where each other is going but they also both have their own plans yeah, that's that tender moment he gives you a little kiss on the cheek
1: it's yeah, a very like very sweet, sweet moment between the two of them
0: because they did really grow together and learn from each other so they were important you know, to each other's growth a slightly more affection was kind of needed at that point i thought
1: yeah they nice something. Yeah. Two people out of time sharing an important
2: moment. That's good. It's really touching. Um, but that's that's basically the movie. Yeah. Um, it does have, I think, my favorite overall film score of all the Star Trek movies. Yeah. Oh um, my god, it was such a good score. It's really, really good. I love listening to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not quite as iconic as you know the actual theme, but the whole it's score there, is though. really good. Mm-hmm. Full score and the incorporation of, you know, more modern music was mm-hmm. fun. It was. It was. Um, fun little notes. Uh, there is a sequel to this movie hmm. in, uh, in Enterprise oh, yeah. season two. There's yeah. an episode called Regeneration that mm-hmm. actually is a sequel to First Contact because the they flexible. find some Borg frozen in the Arctic mm-hmm. who like crashed to Earth after the sphere exploded. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a really cool little bit. Um, it also has some people who believe that Enterprise is in a separate timeline called the First Contact timeline mm-hmm. that takes place in that split. Yeah. Um, of
0: that's interesting. I
2: don't think that that works because yeah. the but because Picard's people go back to their time. Like,
0: fan theories are fun, so. I but, agree. You know, there's. Not too much more to them.
2: Well, because there are several timelines in Star Trek canon, it's important, I think, to analyze and try and figure out how many actually currently exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I don't think this first contact one does because then what future were, were Picard and his crew going back to? Are they yeah. then stuck in the first contact timeline? They have to note
1: there were some differences. Right? Unless it so, was like such a subtly, unless it's like you've got the main
2: timeline and the other one just like an itty bitty like offshoot and it's like, okay, like. So is that episode the only difference then? Yeah, because then at that point, like, is there, are there really two different timelines? I don't know. Right? Maybe McCarr um, goes back and uh, uh, his nephew's still alive. <laughs> and he's oof, like, oh, okay. That's intense. Yeah. Too soon, man. Too soon. Yeah. Too soon. <laughs> Um, any other notes or thoughts on Star Trek First Contact before we wrap up? No, nope. It's really
0: uh, enjoyable.
1: Yeah, just a lot of fun. Uh, you know, current events, you know, both public and personal, are not exactly uh, uh, shiningly optimistic. And so I appreciated the opportunity to get to rewatch this film. It's one of my feel-good movies that I turn to every so often. And so, yeah, just a, a good, fun,
2: wholesome time. Uh-huh. I think this one really marks the pinnacle of the golden age of Star Trek. Yeah, 1996, TNG is at full throttle in film, mm-hmm. Deep Space Nine, Voyager. You know, it this is like huge conventions are everywhere. You've got yeah. the the Vegas experience. You know, um, and this movie I think really marked that that pinnacle point. I think after the film, things started to go back to the decline. Um, for the golden age of Star Trek so this was it this was the top I think yeah for sure Um, so next week uh, Greg is going to still be on his away mission so we are going to move on to Star Trek Insurrection so if you haven't seen that one in a while rewatch that one because we will be discussing that one in all of its glory next week Um, and uh, yeah so Zach if people want to find you out on the interwebs where can they do that
1: Uh, yeah at Avengers ES on either twitter or instagram i think it's the same handle so yeah either place Ray.
0: i am siren ray and i'm a cosplayer so if you follow me on anything it'll be mostly costumes uh second thing is weird questions that will make you feel awkward and uh, trash talk so you know join me for that
2: fantastic uh, i am the star trek dude on twitter and facebook so you can join me out there to talk trek and video games and other nerdy things. You can also find Ray and I on Screen Heroes, Woo! the Heroes Podcast Network's uh, movie and TV podcast series. We talked a lot of film and TV things, reviews, rankings, top lists, uh, that type of stuff. Yep, yep, yep. So uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Redshirts Pod if you want to follow Redshirts and Runabout specifically. Otherwise, uh, we will catch you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. The show is hosted by myself, Gregory Bosco, along with Jeremy Munkin and Derek Mayer. The theme song is by Flying Killer Robots. You can find us as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows at heroespodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also email us at contact at heroespodcast.com. Engage.